Welcome everybody to Gameology episode 37. We're talking about Mario 64. I am one of your permanent hosts, Matthew Falvey, and I'm joined by... Attila Gabriel Branyski. All right, Attila. Mario 64 is one of my favorite Mario games. This was a gigantic step forward in the industry. Nintendo really nailed 3D platforming. A lot of people, a lot of developers were struggling at the time with how to work the camera. Um, they did a lot of things right, right off the bat. And I would say and argue that going back to it now, it still feels relatively great. It's still very, very playable. There are some things that shine through as weaknesses that we'll get to, but I would still stack this pretty highly in my ranking of Mario games. And I dare say I still had more fun going back to it in 2017 than I did Mario Galaxy. Mm. Oh, man, you're... You're really uh, coming down on Mario Galaxy, with, yeah. where it's the battle of our favorites here. Okay, so. yeah, I, I find Galaxy just a bit, hmm, I mean, overly simplistic and a little bit boring. No, you know what it is about Galaxy that bugs me is that it's very slow. And I know they put that in there because the environments were a lot smaller and they're worried about people falling off edges. And the waggle controls as well are another big problem. And the gyroscope oh, it's like controls. for you. Yeah, it really is. Cause, and uh, they sort of modified a bit of Mario's movement. I, the long jump isn't as powerful. And um, yeah, I yeah, just... Yeah, in, in 64, I mean, like, it's not even a... Uh, like, the, to do a long jump in Mario 64, I feel like they made a large part of that game possible to play without that technique. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you master it, you really get, like, this significant improvement in, like, how easy it is to complete certain levels. Just, like, certain gaps that are crossable by that long jump. Like, mastering that technique, it's not easy, because you have to be, like, moving, hold, uh, crouch, and then you press A, and you do this, like, one, two, three, click, and Mario launches himself forward. So it's a it's a sort of like higher level technique and i and i appreciate that about the mario games is that they have these sort of different tiers of what they expect people to be able to play at Mm -hmm. um like most people just think about mario's controls in terms of well you can go left and right you can even jump but in the 3d mario games you've also got the crouching um in mario galaxy i remember you could crouch and attack and then mario would do like this little kick and it was a really great way for dealing with um the like boomerang throwing enemies right and uh yeah in in mario 64 you've got the the long jump um i think the spin jump only came around mario sunshine right if i don't think that's a technique if even then or galaxy but yeah it's definitely not present in 64 now i know it's in sunshine because that was how you would like spray a whole bunch of water in all directions Mm -hmm. um so i guess yeah if it's not, not in 64 um the backflip definitely was in 64, right? Yeah, you could so like the, crouch down and flip up and get an extra height. But like you were saying with um, planning around dif- um, different skill levels is that if you wanted to do the easiest way, you could just crouch from a standstill mm-hmm. or a crouch still and do a backflip. Yeah. Or you could do the run and then if you timed it perfectly, hit the opposite direction and jump and yeah. then you would do a side flip, which kept the momentum going. It looked great. It gave them a lot of height and it was just a way of um, rewarding more skilled players. Yeah, absolutely. And it just, not not even just like a reward for skilled players, but also just, as you said, like maintaining the momentum, meaning that like if someone was playing with the controls and didn't even mean to perform that technique necessarily, but like flick the stick in the other direction because they're trying to avoid an enemy and hit jump, then they'd have this like, they'd have Mario perform a reaction that they were 
like expecting they'd have they'd want him to like launch yeah. in the direction to avoid danger very very intuitive control yeah and you have the there's also the air dive the triple jump which yep. was again that third jump gave you a lot of height was very useful it triggered the flying animation but wasn't wasn't a guarantee that you could do triple jump just by hammering the button that required some yeah. timing you can combine the controls in a really interesting way you can do from a jump you can do the dive as he hits the ground and slides you can press another button so that he sort of flips out of it and then that keeps yeah. the momentum going and i think that is by far the number one thing i missed when i went over to galaxy was that everything felt so slow when you run off of a ledge in Mario Galaxy, he loses momentum. Everything is about keeping you on these very tiny, tiny spots. I understand why they did it. They expected a lot of new players to be playing, and the environments were very tiny. And when you, there were a lot of kill, um, killing pits, which you didn't see as much in, in most of Mario 64. But to me, it just yeah. I, I didn't get that joy of movement. And Mario 64, I still love running around in that game. So have you played the, uh, the remake for the DS? No. Okay. Yeah, that's. Uh, I didn't actually have that game either. I just I had a friend who played it. Um, I did actually go back and get Mario 64 on Virtual Console, and I played through most of it. Mm -hmm. I don't. Uh, I definitely didn't come close to getting all the stars in that game. It's a it's, bit of a grind. It's uh, a Herculean task. There's some really difficult ones, and this is coming from someone who has gotten all 120 stars in Mario Galaxy. Oh, okay. Um, a much easier not, game. Uh, <laughs> Well, there. I mean, I, I, I admit, like, yeah, Mario Galaxy was an easier game. That's why I was able to get all 120. Um, but I, I did not get enough of a completionist uh, streak to go all the way through Mario 64, just because it was that much more difficult. Some of the challenges are... Um, I'd say, in terms of uh, the controls, like, I've talked before on this podcast about how I went back recently and played through Ocarina of Time with my sister. Right. Um in the original N64 version, not the DS remake, and that some of the hardest challenges in that game are walking in a straight line. Yeah, yeah. I definitely feel like the controls in Mario 64 hold up a lot better because the game was built around the control scheme. Mm -hmm. Like, the Ocarina of Time was built around a combat system and, like, exploration in a different way, but the jumping was automatic. Like, there was a lot of things that they weren't including as the sort of core challenge of that game. So it made certain moments more challenging than they should have been, like the walking in a straight line thing. Yeah. But uh, consequently, Mario 64 was built around making movement feel good. And aside from the awkwardness of using a GameCube controller to, con to manage what used to be done on the N64 controller, um, you get used to it really quick, and the movement, yeah, it does feel really good, even to this day. I don't feel like it's as dated as a lot of other N64 titles ended up being. Yeah, and a really interesting thing is that it feels as if they designed the N64 controller purely to work with Mario. I mean, the camera controls on the C-Stick, um, the sort of, you know, for, for a controller that has so many buttons, you don't really use that too many with, uh, with Mario. You can get away with just kind of like Z, B, and A. And uh, the rest are just basically four camera controls. And and those buttons are so featured prominently on the N64 controller where the C buttons aren't really... You know, if you were going to play, say, Street Fighter and wanted to use those as, as three punches and three kicks, you could technically do it, but it would feel... They weren't really designed for that because those C button controls are so small. But um, they, had, they had the two different kinds of camera control in Mario where you could switch from the Cloud Brother flying around, which I love that he's an actual visible... 
character when you go out and stand up in front of a mirror. And then you can also switch to the Mario control, which if I'm walking across a platform and it's a really difficult one and it's not lining up in a way that's going to give me that direction across, then you do that Mario control. You can get right behind him or right in front of him and just walk straight through and, and able to get through it. Because I know that that's something people complain about a lot, but I didn't find it too challenging, especially considering it was a 1996 game and it was something that was easily able to work around. Uh, and definitely it helps that this game isn't really about enemies coming at you. It's a very carefully, uh, you can, you can progress through the game. It's more about vertical platforming and, and more puzzle solving. So you have time to make sure that Mario can get where he needs to go. Yeah. We touched upon this before, just in terms of the fact that like, because in the original Mario game, you're locked into a single axis of an enemy coming at you is a much bigger deal mm -hmm. but in a 3d mario game you can just go any way you want and i think the only enemies that stood out for me as being difficult to deal with were the bullies in the uh lava world okay uh just because they are like really aggressively coming at you and they have that significant knockback effect and you have to time your punches or kicks really well to like kick them off the ledge yeah um and like, normally, you can choose to just not engage with enemies by, like, just going in a different direction or going around them. But because the bullies were so often tied into objectives within the level, you didn't have a choice uh, but to combat them. And that made for some, um, you know, sort of tense moments as, like, they're knocking you back closer and closer to the edge and you're trying to knock them back. And then there's, like, three of them coming at you at one point. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it was a it was an interesting challenge, but one that still kind of holds up. Like, there's some of it feels a little wonky. I think that if Nintendo were to give this game another pass for the modern um, modern era of gaming, they might uh, sort of tune things ever so slightly differently. I think there's just a matter of precision that they didn't have at the time afforded by the controls, because the uh, C stick on the N64 I don't think is anywhere near as precise as modern. Uh, analog sticks. As I said C stick, I just meant the analog stick in the center of the controller. Mm -hmm. They didn't even have a C stick, it just had the C buttons. Um, so the timing on getting hit by certain enemies, it, just, it all feels like something that were Nintendo to remake Mario 64 again, I don't, I'm not suggesting that they should, I just feel that modern audiences are going to find, yeah, as you said at the top of the show, there's going to be a few small things that, like, uh, you just expect things to be a bit more smooth and, um, like, affording a bit more time to the player, just because, yeah, just, it's, the, it's all the, um, it's what's afforded by modern programming techniques and precision input by controllers. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we want to talk a bit more about some of the cons of this game, I would say that having, I think it's six or seven stars per level, this was something they did because of the memory limitations. They could only fit right. so many levels into the game. And a lot of times, and the levels could only be so big, and a lot of times they may give you three or four different tasks for each star, but it will still result in you going the same traversal path up to the same top of the stage and yeah maybe this time you hit a button or the next time you fight an enemy you're still doing the same thing back and forth yeah. and that that can get a little that's why this game can be a bit of a grind to find 120 stars and i know that when i first beat it there were some levels that i didn't sometimes didn't even understand 
what the goal was. The, sometimes mm -hmm. the clues could be very, very uh, ambiguous in a way. Yeah. And I sort of cheesed my way through it uh, by collecting 100 coins in some of the levels, which I think is, I think that the way they balanced it is, is definitely a strength in the way that they, um, to, to get to grant you that ability to go to almost any of these levels. I mean, some of them are locked behind stars, but as mm -hmm. you get to the midpoint of the game, you can really um, choose any level you want. With you know, in case you do get frustrated, and I think that's really important because of how redundant some of these levels can feel. Mm -hmm. Collecting all the stars. Yeah, it almost feels like they had the idea in mind that players would give up on one world and then move to another. So they always want to make sure you have your options open. Right. I do appreciate the sort of like perfectionist level thing you can get by like getting a hundred coins in a single level and being awarded for a star, mm -hmm. meaning that they had to ensure that first of all, each of these environments has a hundred coins populated throughout or that enemies would drop them or that there were secret blocks that would drop like five of them at once. Um, lots of like uh, the game's best secrets were figuring out how to find all 100 coins within a single space. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely a really cool part of it that they kept in future Mario titles. Uh, except I don't think Galaxy features that. I think uh, Sunshine does. Um, and, I, and there must be some other Mario title after 64 well, that one featured of, that. That does highlight one of the problems with Mario 64 is the draw distance. Because they just can't show the coins at a certain distance. Right. So what they tried to do was maybe lead you in the right direction. Like there's one where one spot where you're in a cannon. And if you shoot off in a certain direction, you're going to fly through about five of these rings of coins. Mm -hmm. But they only have the distance to show one. So I think they did a good yeah. job of kind of leading you in that direction. The red coins, because there's only eight of them in a level and you can yeah. get a star for that. They have a much further draw distance. But that could make it a little bit tough to... To be, I mean, if you're tracking down that final coin and you can only see what's in front of you, about 15 Mario feet, that can be that can be quite challenging. So that you know, that's one of the problems. And the coins were sprites. The trees were sprites that sort yeah. of rotated as you looked at them. Even those giant balls in the uh, first uh, level that yeah. come down from the top, they were sprites. I didn't realize that those were sprites until much later. Actually, they yeah. fooled me when I was a kid. It's it's a great trick because rendering something that's spherical in a in a game like that, like the bullies, everything that was a spherical enemy, I think even the booze, um, were circles with um, like 3D elements added on top of them, hmm. and it just made it it made it way cheaper to draw these enemies to the screen because they're not these like geodesic dome circles. Creating a perfect sphere in 3D is, takes up a lot of polygons. Wow. But creating these two-dimensional sprites, which is just one or essentially two polygons, you have to draw it as two triangles, um, it takes up more like uh, sort of space on the disk, if, mm -hmm. you make, if that makes sense, because you have to have this very high-resolution image of a circle. Um, but they could even do things like... Uh, they might have even just had one very large circle texture and then compressed it down to different sizes for the different enemies. So they, they might have just had one white circle texture and then colored it red or colored it black or colored it as necessary. And overall, yeah, it made those kind of enemies much cheaper to draw onto the screen. And as you said, you don't even notice that when you're a kid, when you're looking at these things. I think like the King Bomb, again, like any 
circular enemy in the game, and there were a lot. There were a lot of things that were just like these sort of perfect, simple shapes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised they went that direction. I didn't even think of, like, uh, from the polygonal side of things, how much, how problematic it would be to make a to make a circle. Uh, another con in this game that I love so very much is the the water level and swimming, because Mario mm-hmm. has so much ability. And it's so fun to move them around on the land. Going to water where all you can do is just the stroke. And the only real engaging part of that is that if you time it correctly, he'll swim a little bit faster. Those levels are extremely slow. And they highlight the fact that you are doing the same task. Get to swim to the bottom. Swim to the bottom to get the seven or however many stars there are. That is like really exacerbated. And, you know, those levels are the biggest grind, I think, to get through and... Although there are some certain charms, first time you see that giant eel and, you know, and and finding the treasure chest. Oh, yes, charming. Yeah, I mean, those those definitely memorable moments, um, you know, and how scary that first, that eel is when you first see it. But uh, some of the other bits about where you have to just unlock treasure chests in a certain order, you get electrocuted. Uh, you know, I didn't yeah. really find all that fun because there's, I don't really feel like there's any logic to it. It's just this random trick. Yeah, and the fact that you're already running out of, like, life points as you're For running oxygen. out of oxygen, and then these deal additional damage to you, it's like, yeah, come on. Yeah, That's- I feel like if I went to Miyamoto's house, he would have five cookie jars, and he'd be like, pick one. And if you pick the wrong one, you get shocked, and he just laughs his ass off. I don't think that, uh... You don't think you'd do that? I think no. I think we have enough evidence here for Mario 64. A gr- to talk on a great thing about Miyamoto is that apparently when they first developed this game, all they did was they made a bunny, they made Mario, very simplistic levels, and the first chunk of development was about making Mario chasing a bunny as fun as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a brilliant move, and it it very obviously shows through how fun it is for Mario to run around to catch something that is the same speed as him or just a little bit faster than having to use all of his tricks to get to it. And I think that was I, just genius. I hated that bunny. I hated the bunny that's like jumping around the castle you're trying to catch. Just the, the like, because they uh, sort of know which direction the player's moving in, they can use all these tricks to make the character move at like the perfect angle where you're just going to miss it. Right. And you really have to time your chase correctly. Like, it was, uh, it felt like one of the more frustrating aspects of the game to me was just like chasing something down. Like, if I have a fixed challenge in platforming and I can make the jumps at my own pace, but having to run after something, mm-hmm. I feel like that is the epitome of a repetitive challenge. Because the, the bunny just walks on a fixed track, like back and forth, back and forth in circles. So there's no novelty in the environment. There's, um, just this like constant feeling of like come on let me get it i want just want to get the bunny and then it stops running around i think the best thing about that bunny is all the ways it lets you break the game okay have you seen some of those speedrun tricks no okay well because the uh the bunny is something that mario can pick up when he puts it down it uh pushes his collision model backwards a bit okay so you can pick up the bunny go put your back up against the door, put the buddy down, it pushes Mario through the door, he can pick up the buddy, phase through the rest of the door, then walk over to the, like, um, the star door that's blocking you from making further progress, put the bunny down, phase through the wall, pick up the bunny, and just, like, you just bypass all these things in the game. Um, wow. And then, of course, there's the uh, infinite stair 
trick where you can do the infinite back hop and bypass the endless staircase. Do you ever try that? No, no, I haven't done any speedrunning with it. I've just played it really traditionally. I'm a good boy. I haven't uh, <laughs> I haven't done speedrunning tricks. I just, uh, like, I haven't tried to speedrun the entire game. But I did try and successfully get the infinite stair glitch where, uh, for those who aren't familiar, there's um, one of the ways that they gate one of the boss battles in the game for Bowser is they make the staircase that you're climbing up endless. Like, you'll, you'll right. walk up the staircase... And if you don't have enough stars, the staircase just goes on forever. But of course, in a game, there's no way to actually create something that goes on forever. So it's just a chunk of the level it's repeating. And you could do this trick by using the uh, long jump, where you could long jump in the wrong direction going down the stairs. And then as Mario lands, you could mash the button and he would long jump backwards faster and faster and faster and faster and eventually his acceleration would just push him right through the chunk of the level that was preventing him from ascending the endless staircase and you just shoot up to where the bowser encounter was so it was a lot of fun to try because it was uh one of the more well-known glitches in the game Mm -hmm. and actually getting it to work was just like this fun moment of like hey look i broke it i did it take that miyamoto you know, one of the really cool things they did, too, is I love the hub. I love the castle. I love that when the game starts, you have these these grounds to run around. You can practice climbing up trees because that's going to be an important thing, leaping off the top of them. Traversing the castle and, and jumping into levels using the same mechanics of... Oh, sorry if I'm boring you. <laughs> it is uh, using the same mechanics of Mario. You know, there's like ledges and things in the castle, staircases to um, backwards long jump off of... Um, but when you go to Wet Dry World and Big Little World, the, they play with it in, in a way where the way you enter the level actually affects mm-hmm. how the level materializes. And I think that's just... This game, for, for a launch title that was doing so many new things, that they still had the foresight to, to really play with that and execute so well and just put in so many clever little touches, I think is, is just a really shining example of how great this game is. I think it's a really good... Um sort of showcase of how much uh, effort and research Nintendo was putting into creating games in a 3D space. Mm. I mean, just even the fact that they anthropomorphized the camera, the fact that they made it an actual character, because audiences at that time were not used to manipulating a camera in a 3D space. Like, the camera, camera, as you said, is not immaculate, uh, so that you have to have control over it, and it makes more sense to have control over a character that you're moving around with the C buttons than it does to just manipulate this nebulous game construct. So that was really neat. Um, it's sort of analogous to how the best VR experience that I've ever tried is The Lab by Valve, mm. um, which is like one of the first VR experiences to launch with the HTC Vive. And so many other companies are just starting to figure out some of these best practices now years after VR has like become um, consumer available, it just shows how much research Valve must have been doing up to that point where they could, day one, release this experience that worked flawlessly, or nearly flawlessly. Um, yeah, just a lot of things that we take for granted in 3D worlds and 3D spaces nowadays. Uh, Mario 64 was one of the first to get right, and um, I'd say 
the first to get nearly everything right. Like, other games might have come out in the 3D platforming space that might have had some novel ideas and executed on a few of them perfectly, but I don't think anyone did it as well as Mario 64 did on all fronts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and this could speak to to how strong these elements were or how little Nintendo likes to evolve them. But if you look at the Mario series as it progresses, a lot of the... Uh, a lot of the controls that they implemented for him here, like the ground pound, the long jump, uh, they they you almost notice it when they take them out because they didn't mm-hmm. replace them with something good. Like when they removed the triple jump, I think in Mario 3D World, I wish that was still in there. The I think the long jump is either not in 3D World or it's drastically it reduced. Uh, but it's you know, and like the ground pound was a brilliant idea because mm. and the shadow and those work yeah. together so well because in in this 3D environment. It can be sometimes tough to figure out exactly where Mario is because of the limitations of it and just it being 3D. But having that shadow ever present lets you know exactly where he is. And having the ground pound lets you cancel out and sort of drop right down. As soon as you see the shadow pass over, say, a very small platform that you need to reach, you can get onto that. And that's something that they've used um, forever. And they've even incorporated it into the 2D side-scrolling Mario game since then because it is so useful and just such an iconic part. So, you know... Um, you know, a few th- other things we could touch on. The music, I think the music was... The tracks that were available were great. Mm-hmm. I, I still listen to Dire Dire Docs every once in a while. Uh, Smooth and Groove has a great acapella version for when I'm writing. Uh, it's a little bit limited, though. Especially the so the music they use on the slide. They use that for mm-hmm. both slide levels. Uh, I think three three different slide levels. They use it for the Rainbow Rotary on the Magic Carpet. And they also use it for TikTok Clock. Uh, and I just wish there was something a little bit different. I think the TikTok clock could have been such a cool um, opportunity to use more like percussion elements and, and play yeah. with time and things like that. But again, we're getting back to the sort of the memory limitations of a cartridge. Like the larger you yeah. manufacture the cartridge size to be, the more exponentially expensive it got. Which is why the main one of the main reasons why uh, Square stopped uh, publishing on Nintendo platforms is because Nintendo insisted on using a cartridge. Whereas the disc that was on Sony's console held much more um, space. Oh so, yeah, I mean you were, you could fit what 680 megabytes on a CD, whereas a lot of N64 cartridges were 32 if they were really big, and the third party ones varied from like two, four, eight, sixteen. The biggest one ever made, I think, was um, 64. No, 256 megabytes, I do believe, which is just so much smaller than what you could fit in a CD, but. I still love the idea that I can turn on my N64 and be playing the first level within like a minute from the start of a game. Whereas PlayStation games... No load times. Exactly. With PlayStation games, you know, I have bad memories of like credit sequences and, you know, you could have these really cool pre-rendered scenes that would set up the game, but it still took you like five or ten minutes to actually get playing. Yeah, it was one of those things where like... Um, when I was a kid, I got Nintendo. I played Nintendo consoles. I played Nintendo handhelds. And when I went over to my stepbrothers and I watched him play Fable, I was like, "How come every time you walk from one screen to another, you have to wait for five minutes?" Yeah. I just, I, I just, it was so outside of the realm of anything I ever had to deal with as a kid. So it was just weird to me to see, like, wow, that kind of is lame. How. Every time you walk from one screen to another, it doesn't just fade out, fade in, and instantly it's loaded. Like, um, and cartridges are more durable too, physically. 
Yeah, and it's 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 one of the main reasons that makes the Switch so appealing now is that I can just pick it up, turn it on, and I'm playing Zelda mm-hmm. just immediately. I don't have to load. I don't have to do anything. It's just there. Like the Switch has load times, but the fact that the entire console's flash memory. Um, what a tangent we've gone on, but uh, yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I think it's important because it was a it was a very strong philosophical decision that Nintendo went with that a lot of people criticized, but I think that still had some merits, definitely. In terms of what you wanted out of a console, in terms of just like, you have a box, you put the game in, you turn it on, it's going, mm-hmm. you're playing. And I, I really think that that is like, um, anytime you see a company make those kind of decisions, like the iOS model of, it might not be able to do as many things as Android, but it just works. Yeah. Or even, you know, it, that that core philosophy of making things easy and fast and accessible for the end user. Uh, there's always going to be the power users who want more out of their system, but the vast majority of people just want to be able to get into the game and do the things they want to accomplish, which is what made the sort of decision to make things on cartridge really, uh, I think, a good move overall. Right. Um, I don't think it really started... Uh, like, the N64 was still a juggernaut back in its day, and I don't think it was until later generations of Nintendo consoles that their bad decisions started to catch up with them. Yeah. But overall, it made for some really interesting limitations and in how game designers had to approach, like, the memory limitations. Like, they couldn't afford to put as many music tracks as they might have liked. Um, they couldn't afford to create the variety of levels. They couldn't make like as many different environments. So they had to make everything count. And I think that that is one of the defining features of Mario 64 is how much was invested in those play spaces that you had to experience again and again. You had to make them interesting. You had to make them compelling to explore to their fullest because you were going to be seeing a lot of them. Sounds like a wrap-up. Yeah, pretty that, much. That was a look at Mario 64. Hey, you can email us. Uh, you could email me at gamethinktalk at gmail.com. Don't put the at before gamethinktalk, just before gmail.com. And we can read out some of your questions, comments, blah, blah, blah on the show. You can find me on Twitter at gamethinktalk. And Attila? You can follow me on Twitter at bluishgreenpro or my personal handle, Attila Gabriel. Uh, you can also visit my website, bluishgreenproductions.com, where you can check out a lot of my games. Some of them, I, my Game Jam games, are available on there for free, like the newest one that I just made at TO Jam this past weekend called There's a Zombie in My Closet, which you can try out now. It's like Left for Dead cross Hotline Miami. Hope you like it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching or listening. Bye for now.